Agite, audite, haec est vox romana. Salute omnes and welcome to Vox Romana, the free podcast dedicated to the celebration and restoration of Roman culture. I'm Aulus Apollonius Cordus. Coming up later on the programme, Spanish soldiers, Virgilian verse, Latin locutions and murderous mushrooms. First though, our regular roundup of news from Nova Roma and the modern Roman world. Since I last talked to you, we've seen the culmination of a project which has been a year in the preparation, a new issue of official coinage for Nova Roma. The 5,000 brass sestertii, with a face value of 50 US cents to one sestertius, went into circulation early in May. The coins show Jupiter driving a chariot on one side, and on the other the great Capitoline temple. You can find out more about the new sestertii, and how to get hold of some, by following the link on our website, www.insulaumbra.com forward slash Romana v-o-x-r-o-m-a-n-a www.insulaumbra.com forward slash Romana The Sestertius, of course, was the original European single currency. And that's not the only thing the ancient Roman Empire has in common with the European Union. The presidency of the EU is currently held by Finland, a country with a long heritage of classical learning and a particular fondness for the Latin language. So it's not all that surprising that a weekly summary of EU news is now being produced in Latin. This was first done during the Finnish presidency of 1999 and has now become, as the presidency's website says, something of a tradition. Why are they doing it? Quod usus linguae latinae cultui humano europaeo Honorem habet, et de raricibus societatis europaeae usque ad antiquitatem classicam pertinentibus omnes commone facit. There's been activity in the European provinces of Nova Roma too. In July, the inhabitants of Provincia Dacia, or so-called Romania, held a provincial meeting at the ancient Termae Herculi, or Baths of Hercules. The baths are still in use, and some of the Daki took a dip there themselves. They also saw the inscription set up by the Emperor Marcus Aurelius, probably dating from his visit to Dacia in AD 178. You can find a link to some photographs of their visit on our website. At the meeting, they discussed whether to form a corporation to represent the province, and how to organise a future conventus. The Conventus Novae Romae in Europa is an annual gathering of Novi Romani from all over the world, held every summer somewhere in Europe. Dacia is hoping to host one soon. Meanwhile, the province of Britannia is a hive of activity as it gets ready for the next Conventus, which will be held on Hadrian's Wall at the beginning of August. And the next podcast will be a special programme focusing on the Conventus. And Hispania hasn't been resting on its laurels either. In June, the province's reenactment group, the Legio Nona Hispana, gave a public display in the city of Leon. 
Here to tell us more about the Legio is one of its members, Gnaeus Salvius Astor. History of the Ninth Legion Together with the legions 7th, 8th and 10th, the Legio Nona, the Ninth Legion, was one of the oldest units of the Imperial Army. It is mentioned for the first time in the year 58 BC in Caesar's Gaulish War and it was under his command in the battle against the Nervii. During the civil war between Caesar and Pompey, his enemy and former colleague in the Triumvirate, the Legio Nonna fought in Spain in the Battle of Ilerda, Lerida, in the summer of 49 BC. After that, the soldiers were posted to Placentia, Mother Placentia, in Catharis, where they mutinied. In the spring of the year 48 BC, the Ninth Legion served in Durrachium, where it suffered a great number of casualties. In the Battle of Parsalia, in August the 9th, 48 BC, one of its units fought together with another unit from the 8th Legion. After this battle, the soldiers were taken back to Italy and discharged, although the 9th Legion reappeared in the African campaign of the year 46 BC. Some veterans were settled in Picanum and others in Istria, the 9th Legion was refounded in 41 BC by Caesar's successor Octavius to stop the occupation of Sicily by Sextus Pompeius, son of Pompey the Great, that was threatening Rome's cereal supply. Once this campaign had been completed, the 9th was posted to the Balkans, where it received the nickname of Macedonica. There is an inscription about the Legion known as Triumphalis that proves that this legion could have been refounded previously and that it could have been fighting in the Battle of Philippos in 42 BC. In 31 BC, the war between Octavius and Mark Antony finished with the Battle of Actium, and Octavius became the single ruler of a Mediterranean Empire. He was appointed Augustus and became the first emperor of Rome. The Ninth Legion, that had been present in Actium, was sent to the province of Hispania Tarraconensis to take part in Augustus' campaigns against the Cantabri and the Astures, that lasted between 25 BC and 13 BC. It was a very long war that involved other legions, like the 1st Germanica, the 2nd Augusta, the 4th Macedonica, the 5th Alaudae, the 6th Victrix, the 10th Gemina, the 25th Valeria Victrix, and probably the 8th Augusta. The Ninth Legion was the most distinguished unit of that war, mainly in the campaign of 24 BC, and received its honorary title of Hispana or Spanish. It is possible that small units of the Ninth were transferred to the Rhine River in 20 BC during Marcus Vipsanius Agrippa's invasion of Germania, but this point hasn't been proved. If the Ninth was sent to the Rhine, it, is pro it probably took part in the campaigns that Drusus led on the East Bank. However, one inscription mentions a soldier of the 9th Spanish in Pannonia during Augustus' reign, and it is possible that the Legia Nona was not, in fact, settled in the Rhine, but in the Danube or at Aquileia. We do know, in any case, that during the months of confusion after the Roman disaster at Teutoburg Forest, in September 9 BC, the Legio Nonna was in Pannonia, where its presence has been firmly proved in 14 AD, the year of Augustus' death.
there, in the city of Sisikia, today's Sisek, at the intersection of the rivers Kolapis, today's Kulpa, and Savus, today's Save, the Legion Nona settled until 43 AD. The only exception were some small units of the 9th Legion that were sent to Africa and Mauritania to support the 3rd Legion Augusta in the war against the tribal warriors of Takfarinas between 21 and 24 AD. The legion was commanded by Publius Cornelius Scipio, a direct descendant of the famous Scipiones of the Punic Wars and the conquest of Spain. In 43 AD, Emperor Claudius invaded Britain with the legions 2nd Augusta, 9th Hispana, 14th Gemina and 20th Valeria Victrix. The 9th, commanded by Aulus Plautius, was first settled in two headquarters, in Longtop and Newton-on-Trent. According to two different sources, it suffered a great number of casualties, about one-third of its forces, during Boudicca's riot in 60 AD. Its commander in that disaster, Quintus Petilius Cerealis, could continue his military career, something that shows that he and his men had a honorable behavior in battle. Some reinforcements were sent from the German provinces and in 65 AD it was regrouped in Lincoln, but six years later was sent to York, where it garrisoned the Roman frontier, replacing the second at Utrecht Scherialis that went back to Britain after an important campaign in 70 AD against the Batavian Rebellion. In 78 AD, the 9th took part in the fight against Venutius and his brigantine warriors in the north of England. At the same time, Gnaeus Julius Agricola commanded the 20th Valeria Victrix to the north. Both legions defeated Venutius together near Stanwyck. In 83 AD, one unit of the 9th Legion fought against the Kati, a German tribe, near Mainz, in Germania Superior. Probably about 1,000 men were sent from Britain. This caused some difficulties to Agricola's campaign. It is possible that another unit of the 9th took part in Trajan's invasion of Takia, but this has not been proved. The last datable finding between 108 and 109 of the activities of the Legio Nonna has been found in Britain, where a stone fort was built in York. Whatever happened after this date is not clear. Some specialists support the idea that it was defeated and annihilated by the Picts, probably in 117 or 118, and this would be the reason why Emperor Hadrian ordered to build his famous wall across the north of England. Recent investigations, however, point out that at least one unit of the 9th was settled in Nijmegen, in Germania Inferior, after 121 AD. At the same time, the 6th Victrix was transferred from Germania Inferior to Britain, probably changing places with the 9th. The fact is that we know names of officers of the 9th that could not have served before 122 AD. For instance, Lucius Aemilius Carus, governor of Arabia in 142 or 143. Something that indicates that this legion was resettled, not annihilated. This proves the existence of the 9th legion even during the kingdom of Adrian.
After that, the Ninth Legion disappears from the sources. Maybe it was destroyed during the Jewish riot of Shimon ben Kishiba in 132-136 AD, or in Cappadocia in 161 AD by the Parthians, or even during a riot in the Danube in 162 AD. In one inscription from Marcus Aurelius' reign, from 161 to 180 AD, it is mentioned all the legions, the Ninth Hispana does not appear. It probably had been destroyed before this period. The symbol of the Ninth is unknown, but since it was a Caesarian unit, it could have had a bull as its symbol. Thanks, Astor. See you at the Conventus next month and we've put a link to the website of the Legio Nona Hispana on our website, www.insulaumbra.com forward slash Vox Romana. Now, we don't want to give you the impression that the Romans were all about wars and aqueducts and so on, so here's a little light relief, an anecdote from Seneca's Epistulae Morales, chapter 10, section 1. The philosopher Crates saw a young man walking on his own, and asked him what he was doing there. "'I'm talking to myself,' said the young man. "'Take care,' said Crates. "'It's a shifty fellow you're talking to.' "'And if you didn't laugh at that, it must be because you're not as wise as Crates and Seneca. So there.' Time now for a book review. And today's book answers that age-old question, what's for dinner? The answer lies in Mark Grant's Roman Cookery, Ancient Recipes for Modern Kitchens. Now most of these recipes are not from Apicius, so if you never got the hang of stuffing dormice, or the corner shop has sold out of hummingbirds' tongues, don't worry. This is the easy, healthy food of the common citizen. You could start off the morning with a bowl of pulspunica, or Carthaginian porridge. Then for lunch you could have moretum, a garlic pate, with bread, or Cicero's favourite, lagana. Armed with this book you could even give up your job and start a popina. Good evening, sir, madam, what would you like? I'll have the souffle with braised cucumbers. The spumeum with cucumeres, certainly, and for you, madam? Oh, the fried liver, please, with honeyed mushrooms. Ficatum porcinum and mucae. An excellent choice, madam. An excellent choice, unless, of course, you're the Emperor Claudius. And if you don't understand what that joke was about, well, that's another question this book answers. Each recipe, most with only three or four main ingredients, is based on a genuine ancient dish, and Grant gives not only the practical recipe, but also a translation of the Latin or Greek source. Typically recipes involve ingredients like beans, fish and cheese. Meat was a rare luxury for the ordinary citizen, but there are some meat recipes too. And the book is also full of background information, like why mushrooms are bad for emperors, so you and your guests will have plenty to talk about over caféum and gastris, coffee and cake. Roman cookery Ancient Recipes for Modern Kitchens by Mark Grant is published by Serif and costs $14.95 US, which is just under 30 sesterti.
and you can find all those details on our website www.insulaumbra.com forward slash walksromana And speaking of food, here's another Roman joke for you, taken from Macrobius Saturnalia, Book 2, Chapter 6, Section 1. Now, Roman law involved some precise distinctions which could be very important. The law applying to fruit trees, for example, was quite different to the law applying to other types of tree, so it could be quite important to know how to categorise the subject of a legal dispute. In the time of Cicero and Caesar, there was an eminent orator and lawyer called Aulus Cascellius. At one time Publius Vatinius, the supporter of Gaius Caesar, had appeared at the games and had stones thrown at him by the crowd. Vatinius persuaded the Aediles to forbid audiences in the arena to throw anything except fruit. Later someone happened to visit Cascellius to ask his legal advice and wanted to know whether a fir cone counted as a fruit. Cascellius replied, if you're going to throw it at Wetinius, then it's a fruit. Now it's another of our regular features here at Vox Romana, the Latin conversation. In the last programme, we started you off with a very simple exchange between Aulus Gratius Avitus and Aula Tullia Scholastica. This time the conversation will be slightly longer, but you'll recognise the elements covered in the last programme. Salvi, Udwalis. Valeo, et tu? Valeo, gratias tibiago. Quod est tibi nomen? Nomen mihi estavitu, et tibi? Mihi escolasticae. Ubi habita scolastica? Habito propecatoractas niagarae, et tu? Ego londinii, invitania. Quod est tibi officium? Sum magister et tu? Ego quaqua magistra. Quid docis? Linguam latinam doceo. Et tu avite? Doceo et latine et hispanici. Sunt discipuli tui adulti an adolescentes. In academia tuli sunt adulti. In collegi universitatis londiniensi sunt adolescentes. Et tui? Maxima pars maorum sunt adulti, sed pauci adolescentes quoque ad sunt. Da venia, nunc est mihi domum festinandum. Equidem valde asurio, scisne fortase bonam popinam bonumque thermopolium propenos. Asselina est bonum. Gratius tibi ago. Nunquid vi saliud? Vale, avite. Et tu scolastica vale. Now we're going to play you the same conversation again, but this time, after each Latin sentence, you'll hear the English translation of that sentence. The translation of Avitus' lines will be read by Kerastes Polythumos. Salve, ud valis. Hello, how are you? Valeo. Et tu? I am fine. And you? Valeo, gratias tibiago. I am well, thank you. Quod est tibi nomen? 
What is your name? Nomen mihiesta wito. Ettibi? My name is Awitus. And yours? Me yes scholastikai. Mine is scholastica. Ubhyabita scholastica? Where do you live, scholastica? Habito propa cataractas niagarai. Et tu? I live near Niagara Falls. And you? Ego Londinii, in Britannia. I live in London, in Britain. Quod est tibi officium? What work do you do? Sum magister et tu? I am a teacher, and you? Ego quoque magistra. I am also a teacher. Quid docis? What do you teach? Linguam Latinam docea, et tu, Oite? I teach the Latin language, and you, Oitus? Doceo et Latine et Hispanici. I teach both Latin and Spanish. Sunt discipuli tui adulti, an adolescentes. Are your students adults or adolescents? In academia tuli sunt adulti. In collegi universitatis londiniensi sunt adolescentes. Et tui? In the academia tules they are adults. In the University College of London they are adolescents. And yours? Maxima pars maorum sunt adulti, sed pauci adolescentes quoque ad sunt. The majority of mine are adults, but a few adolescents are also present. Da venia. Nunc est mihi domu festinandum. Forgive me, I have to hurry home now. Equidem valde asurio. Scisne fortase bonam popinam bonumque thermopolium propanos. I for one am very hungry. Do you happen to know a good restaurant or a good coffee shop near us? Aselina is bon. Aselina's is good. Gratias tibi ago. Thank you. Nunquid we salut? See you then. Vale, awite. Goodbye, awitus. Et tu scholastica vale. And you scholastica, farewell. We come now to our continuing presentation of selections from the Aeneid by Publius Vergilius Maro, read for us in the original Latin by Aula Tullia Scholastica, and in Scholastica's English translation read by Aulus Apollonius Cordus. Last time, with the opening of the poem, we introduced the dutiful Aeneas, who escaped the destruction of Troy to wander many years over lands and seas. We heard of the wrath of Juno, queen of the gods, whose bitter and undying hatred of the Trojan race made so difficult and perilous the founding of the Roman nation. Today we see Aeneas and the Trojans set sail from Sicily, hoping at last to reach Italy in the end of their journeys but Juno still nurses her wrath. Determined to stop them, she visits Aeolus, ruler of the winds, to persuade him to raise a storm against the Trojan fleet. 
Wicks a corns back to Sigulite Lures and Altum, Wale de Bant like Tatspuma Salas Ira Wayband, Cum Uniternum Serawan so Petlare Wolnos, Hike Secu, Main in Capto de Sister of Wictum, Nep Positaliate O Corora Wertue Regum, Quipa Wetor Fatis, Palas Nexorre Classem, Aragi Wakip Sos Podowid Submergre Ponto, Unius obnoxet furiasa iacis o ilei, ipsa iuis rapidum niaculate nubibus ignium, disjecit quae ratis e veritet quaecorrentis, il expirantem tonans fixo pectora flamas turem in a gorre poet, scopuloquin fixit acuto. As to go, quae diwin cedo veregina iuisquet xoro radicoiux, Una cum genta tot anos bella garo, et quisquam numen unonis adorat, praeteri aut suplexaris imponet honorem. Talia flamatos ecum de accorde volutans nimborem patriam, loca feta forrentibus austris, aeoliam venet. Iquasto rex aeolis antro, luctantis ventos tempesta desques honoras, Imperio premet aquin clis et cacare frenat. Il indignantes magno cum murmure montis, circum claustura fremunt, crsasset et aeolis arce, scaptura tenens molit quanemus et temperat iras. Ni faciat mariac terras cae lumque profundum, quipe ferratu rapidise cum nuev anquipe auras, Sed pater omnipotens peluncis abderet autoris, hoc metuens molem quat montis in super altos imposuit. Regem quedidit, qui poidur gerito et perimerets laxas sciretera iusus habenas. At quem tum you know suplex his vocibus usest, aeola, namque tebidi vum pater at quominum rex, et mulcere dedit fluctus et tolere vento, Gains in amica me, Tyrrhenum, now we got Aequor, Ilian, Italian, Portans, Victosque Panatis, Incuta Wimwentis, Submersos, Cobrue, Puppies, Out Agadiversos, Et Disjuki, Corpore, Ponto, Sot mei biseptem, Praestanti, Corpora, Numpae, Quarum, Quae, Forma, Pulcarima, Deia, Peia, Conubio, Iungam, Stabili, Propriam, Qued Gabo, Omnis ut te cum meritis pro talibus annos exigat et pultra faciate prole parentem. Aeolus haec contra, tuus ore gina quid optes, explorare labor, mi iusa capessere facest. Tu mi quod cumco cregni, tu scaptro iuemque, concilias tu dasse polisa cumbra diwum, nimborum qua pavacis tempesta tunque potentem. Scarcely out of Sicily's sight, onto the deep, the joyful men were spreading their sails and churning up the salty foam with their brazen prow, when Juno, nursing the undying wound in her breast, broke into soliloquy. Shall I, defeated, desist from my plan, and be unable to turn the Teucrian's king aside from Italy? Nay, I am forbidden by the fates, couldn't Pallas burn the Argive fleet to a crisp, 
and sink the very men in the sea on account of the mad crime of just one man, Ajax, son of Oileus? She herself hurled Jove's swift scorching fire from the clouds, scattered the ship's timbers, and roiled the sea surface with the winds. Him she snatched up in a whirlwind as he exhaled fire from his punctured breast and impaled him on a sharpened crag. But I, who walk majestic as the queen of the gods, both sister and wife of Jupiter, wage war for so many years with just one single race. And besides, who adores Juno's divine power or places an honorary offering on her altars as a suppliant? Pondering these matters with herself in her inflamed heart, the goddess comes to Aeolia, homeland of the clouds, a place teeming with raging winds. Here in a vast cavern, King Aeolus confines the wrestling winds and roaring tempests under his sway, and bridles them with chains and a prison cell. They indignant rage round the barrier with a resounding mountain's roar, on a lofty height, Aeolus sits, holding his sceptre. He soothes their passions and calms their wrath. If he didn't, they would surely sweep through the air and carry off the seas and lands and vast sky headlong with them. But dreading this, the Almighty Father shut them up in dark caverns, set massive lofty mountains on top of them, and gave them a king who by fixed agreement would know both how to check them and how to give them loose reins. To him then, the suppliant Juno spoke these words. Aeolus, since the father of the gods and king of men granted you both to calm the waves and to raise them by the wind, a race hostile to me sails the Tyrrhene Sea carrying Ilium and its vanquished Penates into Italy. Strike might into the winds, and bury the submerged ships in a watery grave, or drive them in different directions, hither and yon, and scatter their corpses on the sea. I have twice seven nymphs of surpassing beauty, of whom the fairest is Deiopea, I shall join her to you in lasting wedlock and proclaim her your own, so that she may spend all her years with you for such great merits, and make you the parent of pulchritudinous progeny. Aeolus answered these words, O Queen, your task it is to search out what you wish. For me it is right to carry out your orders. You secure such realm as this is for me. You grant me the right to recline at the banquets of the gods, and you make me powerful over the clouds and storms. Join us next time to learn the fate of Aeneas and his comrades as we continue our reading of Virgil's Aeneid. Thanks, Kerastes. Well, that's about all for this program. The producer was Marca Hortensia Maior, 
The engineer was Gaius Curius Saturninus. Contributors were Gnaeus Salvius Astor, Aulus Gratius Avitus, Aula Tullia Scholastica, Kerastes Polythumos, and Marca Hortensia Maior. I'm Aulus Apollonius Cortus. You've been listening to Vox Romana. Join us next time for a special programme from the Conventus at Hadrian's Wall. Oh, here comes Marco Hortensia now. What's that you've got there? Mushroom surprise? For me? Oh really, you're too kind.